Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 71 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of March 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, Part 3. And the Bible reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 32. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. You noticed in your bulletin my title is getting longer than the lines to, <laughs> to fit it all. <laughs> Of course, we are continuing in our series on contending for the faith. This is sermon number 71 in that series. And of course, in contending for the faith, we uh, then branched into the fundamentals of that faith that we are to uh, contend for. And uh, that fundamental that we are looking at at this point is the glorious church of Jesus Christ. This is the third part uh, of that one. and specifically looking at the defining of the church, and today, uh, the prospective church. And uh, so, uh, again, it's a, uh, it's a monstrous subject. I was speaking to uh, somebody, I think maybe it was Brother Steve that was commenting on it yesterday. I said, you know, you got to realize that, you know, this is subjects that, uh, that they have to rush just to get through in a year in Bible college when they're doing it every day. Uh, and, uh, and of course, as we look at it, it is such, such an important subject. Uh, it has so much to do uh, with our lives and the, and the way that, uh, uh, that we serve the Lord. And, uh, and yet there is there's so much confusion about it today. There's so much laxity about it today, as with many of the great doctrines that God gives us in, in the Scriptures. And, of course, I want to try to accomplish a couple of things. Number one... Uh, I can't stay here for a year. Uh, well, I could, but uh, uh, we're not planning on staying here for a year on this one subject. Uh, there's too many other things that we need to uh, to look at as well. Um, at the same time, I don't want to become uh, over-technical. Uh, I don't want it to become a lecture. Uh, we're here, and as we preach from, from God's Word, uh, I want it to be simple. Uh, I want to back up everything that I say with the Word of God. And I know you've never heard a preacher anywhere that's preached and said, this is not coming from the Bible. Uh, Everybody says, this is straight from the Word of God. And uh, I just challenge you because I assure you that during these, I'll be giving you plenty of Scripture. Take the Word of God for what it says. Uh, Try not to make it fit what you want to believe or what you've been taught to believe. Uh, But just let God speak to you. Uh, And as we look at these things, I hope uh, that I can, uh, on the one hand, that you can be excited, folks, the glorious church of Jesus Christ is something to be excited about when you know that you're a part of it. Uh, and at the same time, uh, that it will help us uh, to be able to stand strong and to stand firm and to please Him in all that we do. Uh, so let's be, uh, begin again this morning in Ephesians chapter 5, and uh, we'll begin there with, uh, with verse 22 as I invite you to, uh, we'll begin with verse 21, as I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's holy word, beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Father, we thank you again today for this wonderful privilege, freedom, opportunity that we have to be gathered here in your house. Thank you for health and strength to be here. Thank you for each one that you've allowed to come this way today. Thank you that even as we sang earlier that we know as we're gathered here that Jesus is here with us, that he lives and dwells within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your word that we've just read from. Thank you for preserving it for us through the centuries. Thank you, Lord, that that spirit that lives within us can give us understanding, can take these words and make them alive to each and every heart here this morning. For that we pray, Lord, because you know each heart. You know the need. You know the one that may need salvation, that one needs restoration. Lord, the one that needs encouragement and challenging afresh. You know the ones that are walking near and the ones that are walking afar off. And Lord, we pray that for your glory and yours alone, that you would speak to those hearts and that those hearts, Lord, would not be hardened, but we would be receptive to that which you have for them today. May you do the work that only you can do, all for your glory. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. The glorious church of Jesus Christ. We began Sunday before last as we began to look at this, this thought and we took just a brief overview and we talked about breaking it down into four areas. The definition, the design, the duty, and the destiny. I'm going to try to stay within those four bounds, uh, if I possibly can at all. Uh, but we began last week to look at what we called uh, the defining of the New Testament church. And, of course, we looked at a number of things, and if you were not here, I can only suggest that you go back and you listen to that sermon because there was some important material in there that all that we begin to cover is based upon, and we will build upon that each week as we go through. Of course, we talked about a couple of problems that we have with this matter of the church. One, that the word church in our English language can mean so many different things to so many different people that when we use it, Nobody really knows what we're talking about so often. Well, that's probably not going to change because there's going to remain to be a lot of different groups that are going to mean a lot of different things, but what can change is this. We can resolve that problem no matter what everybody else means by the word church. We can know what our Bibles mean by the word church, and that's what's vital and important. A second problem, the erroneous teaching for centuries of some concerning the church saying that this is the biblical teaching on the church. Many of it filtering right down through the years from Catholicism through, through Protestantism and all of these things. 
The simple truth as we come back is that folks don't concern yourself with what denominations teach about this thing concerning the church. I encourage you and I challenge you to go to God's word and see directly, not what I'm saying, not even what the other Baptists may say, not what the church in general, but what God says about this matter. And there is much erroneous teaching to be overcome. That's not because we are smarter than they are that we can do that. But if we want to overcome the erroneous teachings, then we need to know the true teaching. I want to challenge you. You know, the simple fact is I've already said I can't cover it all. But I hope that we can touch some things here in these services that will send you to the Word of God that you might truly, genuinely be able to grasp from there. We talked about the Word in our Bibles that, of course, in the original that was translated into this word church, that word ecclesia in the Greek. We said that that word ecclesia it appears in our Bible some 118 times. 115 of those is translated church, and three of them is translated assembly. We talked about those three times that it's translated assembly in Acts chapter 19. It has nothing to do with the group of God, but it was a group of townspeople that was trying to get God's people out of town rather than God's people coming together. We went through the statement of faith. And we read very clearly what that we state, as a matter of fact, as what we as a church stand up on and believe. And that's where I'm going to begin this morning. I'm going to read that statement. And we're going to try to pick up where we left off last week with this matter of we began. And I just gave you a couple of opening passages on this matter of what I'm simply calling the prospective church. Because in defining the church... We're breaking it down into two areas, the prospective church and the present church. The perspective, what does the word perspective mean? Folks, it simply means future. It's something that is not now, but it is something that is future. It is real, but it's not in the present tense. We say this in our statement of faith, and we will be trying to cover the different areas of this as we go through this series it says, we believe in the church, capital C, the body of Christ, which is made up of all blood-bought, born-again believers from the public ministry of Christ until his coming again for his own in the rapture. Some are already in heaven. The group has never all been together at one time, so in this respect, we could say that the church is in prospect. That is exactly what we're talking about, the prospective church, the church that is in prospect. The church will be together for the first time at the time of the rapture. We also believe in the churches, the local assemblies. The scriptures teach us much more concerning the local churches than the church. These local churches consist of regenerated believers who have been scripturally baptized, buried with him in baptism, and are banded together for worship, work, and spiritual fellowship, spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth according to the specific teachings of the New Testament. Christ is the head of the church and the churches. 
The authority to carry on the work of God in this dispensation is given to the local church, the visible body of Christ in this dispensation. As such, all Christians and all Christian ministries should be the ministry of and accountable to a local New Testament church. Scripture knows nothing of authority of or accountability to a single universal church. Each local church is to be independent, autonomous, and free from political authority or ecclesiastical hierarchy. We believe in separation of church and state. And so as we go through, we're going to be looking and trying to say, look, we've tried to take all of these teachings and concise it down into one paragraph so that people that say, okay, what does this church believe about this matter of the churches? They can look there and hopefully get a clear, concise description of what it is that we believe. The prospective church, a term that is familiar to many today, is that which we said is called the universal church. Some would talk of an invisible church or a universal invisible church, just, just putting it all together. We also have to consider as we begin to look what is meant by these terms because, folks, different people mean different things by them. And to be quite honest, I'm not going to waste my time and yours by getting up here and trying to teach you and tell you what everybody else means by that term. I'll let you look at the Word of God and what the Word of God teaches, and you decide whether what they believe is right or wrong. That's something between them and God. We looked last week, first of all, in addressing this subject in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I told you last week that I promised to leave you with more questions at the end of the service than I did answers. I think I succeeded. <laughs> we're going to try to answer a few of those questions. If you weren't here last week, you'll have to go back and figure out the questions that we're giving answers to. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Word of God says in verses 12 to 14, he says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Now, I asked you a question there last week. I said, is this passage... Speaking of one universal church, is it speaking of some invisible body? Is the church and the body of Christ one and the same thing, or are they two totally separate entities? I said there's a lot of places we could look, but we were going to go to try to answer some of those questions to the book of Ephesians because it's said by many Bible commentators and scholars that probably in the book of Ephesians we find some of the highest truths known to man about this matter of the church, though it doesn't address church order or those type things. 
we find that as we look there, we look, first of all, we'll begin in Ephesians chapter 1. And again, we read this scripture, but we didn't make much comment on it. Ephesians chapter 1, notice, and I mean, if you really wanted to, and we simply don't have time this morning. You could just read the entire book of Ephesians and you really see a lot of these fit together because I'm just going to jump from chapter to chapter here trying to give you a few important highlights. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verses 22 and 23, the Bible says, and hath put all things under his feet, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. May I say to you that as we look through a number of these things, one thing that we know for sure, because the word of God states it very clearly, he says here, Jesus Christ is the one that's the head over all things to the church, which is his, Jesus Christ's body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Can I say to you, upon the word of God, that undoubtedly the church and the body of Christ are one and the same. Preacher, are you talking about a simple local church of individuals or are you talking about some universal entity? Well, read on. In chapter 2, notice what he says to us beginning in verse 14. The Bible says, For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. One body. By the cross, he says there. Now, I'm asking you again, as we read what the Bible is stating clearly about this one body, the church, and its relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Is he speaking of some invisible body? Or is he speaking of the visible local body? Turn to chapter 3. Still in speaking to us concerning the church. Notice what he says here. He says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto whom am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The body and church that is spoken of here, he's making very clear, was something that was not known in ages past. It truly was invisible to them. They didn't even know that it existed. But the question comes now, what is he talking about here as he speaks of the church? Notice in chapter 4, notice beginning in verse 1, he says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. What is he speaking of? People will argue with you as the old saying goes till the cows come home. 
And the simple truth is they have all kinds. Some will say this is just the local. Some will say the universal. Well, I'm saying to you that keep in mind that he says there is one body. And we see from these passages that it's Jews and Gentiles. This one body is all one because of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. One body, one faith, one spirit. We've already read our passage in Ephesians chapter 5 as we begin. And of course, we find that here, the Lord using this relationship of husband and wife, he tells us very clearly that in speaking of this, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Husbands, Love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Folks, yes, there is instruction here in the natural to husbands and wives and the one that they should become, no longer two, but one. But he's using this as the only relationship, and this is a fact that I point out or try to point out in every wedding that I've ever conducted. (laughs) There is something. When of everything on earth, he compares this relationship between a man and a woman. No longer two, but one. There's only one relationship that the Bible compares that to, and that's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ being one with him. So we have something else here. Suddenly, the church, the body of Christ but there's also the bride of Christ. Because <laughs> he said, I'm speaking to you about Christ and the church. That's what this mystery is all about. That's what's being unfolded here. This is what was hid from all those in the past. He said, I'm speaking to you about Christ and the church and his body. No more two, but one. Now I want you to look at one other passage in your Bibles before I try to draw a few conclusions for you. Look over with me in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And as we look there, beginning in verse 18, the Bible shows us a very stark contrast here. Notice he says, Hebrews 12, 18, for ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched, that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they had heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore where they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touch the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. Here God's people at Mount Sinai and the fear and the awesome, but he says in verse 22, but ye, not the Mount Sinai, 
but ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better than that of Abel. A stark contrast between the scene at earthly Mount Sinai, which was a fearful sight because of man's failure to fulfill the law of God not being able to enter into the presence of God because of that sin, a forbidding sight, man, before the presence of a holy God. And contrasting that with Mount Zion, the heavenly one, not the earthly. In God's presence, which is loving and gracious and inviting. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. That's the difference in the two. Because of Jesus Christ, because the sin, they were fearful before Mount Sinai because their sin was a problem. We can stand before Mount Zion because the sin has been taken care of, praise God. He says to a general assembly, now, that word assembly there is not the same word, ecclesia, that we've been looking at otherwise. It's a different word. Matter of fact, the word that's translated assembly here speaks specifically of a festive assembly, of a festive gathering of people. <laughs> They're enjoying themselves before Mount Zion. This general assembly. But he says, including the church of the firstborn which are written in heaven. The church of Jesus Christ. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The spirits of just men made perfect. Most likely, speaking of the Old Testament saints there. Those that, again, had to wait until the finished work on Calvary, Jesus Christ himself, our mediator, the one who through his blood sacrifice has made it all possible. Wow. What a gathering is being described to us here. But folks, that gathering it's still future. <laughs> You're not there yet. Boy, it's going to be one hallelujah gathering, one festive assembly. When the church of the firstborn are gathered together there with all the angels, with all those Old Testament saints, with everybody together with him in heaven. You think that's speaking of the local church or the church? the one true church. Revelation chapter 21, it describes this same event. 
Revelation chapter 21. Notice what he says to us there beginning in verse 1. He says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, plagues and talked with me, saying, Come hither. I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Who is the bride there? I believe that as we begin to look, folks, there is only one bride. There's not a lot of different brides. Who is the bride in that passage? Well, he tells us. Matter of fact, he, he speaks of it very, very clearly done in verse 27 of the same chapter. And there shall in no wise... Enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. Isn't that not exactly what we read back in Hebrews <laughs> before Mount Zion? They whose names were written in heaven. Here the only people that are entering in are those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. I believe that the scripture gives us sufficient detail that surely we can understand and grasp that there is only one bride for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that bride is his church. The church, which is the body of Christ. Now, preacher, what in the world sense can we make of all of that? What kind of a conclusion can that really bring us to? Well, let's look at some important facts that we've seen this far. Now, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to become a lecture. I want to give you some simple things that we've covered to hopefully help us to understand what is so vitally important about the church, God's church, the Lord's church, the church of Jesus Christ. First of all, 
a very simple truth that we said much would be based upon that simple term ecclesia that's translated church in our Bibles. What does it mean? A called out assembly. A called out assembly. The three times in Acts 19 that it's translated assembly in our King James Bibles anyway is speaking of a town assembly. This town assembly was called out in the city of Ephesus in order to get rid of Paul and his companions. It had nothing to do with what we consider to be the church. The same word translated, but that's not the Lord's assembly. That was man's assembly. That was an ecclesia, which is what the term in itself simply means, a called out assembly. The other 115 times in our Bible that that term ecclesia is used it's translated church, again, at least in our King James Bibles. That's changed in a lot of the new Bibles. Why the difference? Why was it translated assembly in three places and church in the other 115? I have very dear friends, and that's totally, I don't love many less. They believe that this word should have been translated different, that our Bibles got it wrong that it should have been assembly or congregation or something like that rather than the word church. I'm just kind of old-fashioned and narrow-minded enough to believe that they got it right, that our Bibles are right, that it was translated correctly and that there's good reason for the difference that we find there. Because you see, when we trace it back, the root word of that word church when you trace it back to the different meanings, when it comes back to its very root in the Greek also, then it comes from the possessive form of the word Lord. In other words, something that belongs to the Lord. Now, I'm not a linguist, and I don't claim to be, but it seems that God had a purpose when he preserved his word for us to guide these translators to distinguish between just any called out assembly, just any ecclesia, and an ecclesia that belonged to the Lord. It was the Lord's. And so when we find in our Bibles, if it was just a called out assembly, it's translated assembly. But when it was the Lord's called out assembly, it was translated church. I don't think that was accident and coincidence. I believe it's very simple. The Lord gave us this. I'm saying, well, it's too confusing because there's so many different reasons for it. Well, you see, I want you to recognize this, that whether you're talking about a local called-out assembly or a universal called-out assembly, that it belongs to the Lord. It is his body. He is the head of the church, of those 115 times, is there a distinction between what is the Lord's local visible assembly and a called out assembly that will be together in heaven one day? I believe the scripture bears that truth out in all that we've read. I believe that there is a distinction between the two. Are they both the church? Should we refer to both of them as the church? 
can. The Lord's called out assembly, the church. Can that be universal and invisible? Well, I've already told you that I realize people mean different things by these terms, and when they use them, and maybe that in itself should give us pause, then aren't we better just to stick to Bible terms? When it's at all possible, let's just use what the Bible calls it. I would ask you this question. Can any called out assembly be invisible? If it is a called out assembly, because remember when we first looked at that word, it seems to totally contradict what the word even means. The term ecclesia is never, ever used to describe a people until they are an assembled people. They're not an ecclesia as long as they're still out there in their own homes and their own businesses. Remember, we looked at that. They become an ecclesia when they are called out of that and they become an assembly together. Wow. So if we're talking about a church, a called out assembly, does it not have to be? You see, I will say this. I know people mean different things, but folks, I just think you're better off to leave that term invisible body, invisible church alone because I believe it's totally contradictory to what the Word of God is teaching us. People are talking about it's invisible because it's not there yet. Well, if it's not there yet, then it's not invisible. It just doesn't exist yet. We find that some would say that the calling out of the universal body is is what's happening when we're being called out of this world at the time of the new birth. That it's universally inclusive of all true Christians. Well, I will agree with the all true Christians. We may have been called out, but may I say to you folks, we haven't been assembled together yet. <laughs> we have not been assembled together. We find that probably time for some to say now, well, now, preacher, you're kind of talking in circles. <laughs> you seem to be saying on the one hand that there is this universal church and on the other hand that there's not. Well, what I'm saying, in fact, is in my simple-minded, humble opinion, we'll be far better off to get rid of some of these terms like invisible church, probably even the term universal, simply describe the church as the church in biblical terms. The Bible speaks of a called out assembly that belongs to the Lord. It is the Lord's assembly when we call it the church. It's not just any ecclesia. It is the Lord's. The few verses that speak of assembly of believers that is inclusive of all believers, and I gave you these in Ephesians because most of those, and I realize, keep this in mind too, some of it comes down to terminology. But the simple truth is there's only one truth. People may talk about it in different ways, but God has a truth 
these few verses that speak of an assembly of believers. And Ephesians is one of those passages where many would believe that those passages, most if not possibly all of them, have got to be speaking of one true church, one body of all true believers of all time that is being spoken of there. As we begin to look at that, this group of all true believers, may I say to you that, yes, the only way that you're going to be part of that assembly is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. We're talking here a calling out of all believers, past, present, and future until the Lord returns for us. All being called out and assembled together at one time in one place. All being the Lord's assembly. May I say in Scripture that that is something that is never, ever spoken of as a present entity, but as a future one. It is a future. It is very real. That group of all true believers will be called out at the rapture of the church when the archangel sounds, when that trumpet sounds. They'll be assembled together for the first time. They'll be in heaven together for the first time but to remain together for all of eternity. Folks, that is not some invisible universal body that already exists. It doesn't exist. It won't exist until the rapture takes place. Some would deny its existence altogether, and to me that's just folly. I do believe that a few of these passages namely the ones that we've looked at, that some of them are speaking of this true body. But what is true of that true body should be true of the local body because that is what people see today. You see, that's precisely what we call in our statement of faith the church in prospect, a prospective church a future church, a future assembly of all true believers of all time that will be together when the Lord returns for us. We mustn't deny its existence, though it is future. And some of us, and my dear brethren, may prefer different terms to describe it. But may we at least be clear about what the Bible is talking about and what it should mean. It's not a present invisible reality. It is a future reality at the Lord's turn, return. And any reference to the church, universal, should be future. Too many today want it to be some invisible umbrella that somehow they can be accountable to because it's a whole lot easier to be accountable to something invisible than something visible. <laughs> I don't say that to be mean. You saying that's folks, that's where the church goes. We're not mean. We thank God for what we're able to do for the cause of missions around the world. 
But when we look to support the work of God, we look for ministries that are accountable to a local visible church. You say, aren't some of those other organizations doing some good work? Yep, they are. Some of them are doing some grand work. But that doesn't make them biblical just because they're doing a good work. And we'll look at some of those things as we come to them. You see, there's only one present church. It's visible. You can see us right here this morning. It's local. It's what the vast majority of those 115 times that we have the word church in our Bibles is speaking of and is talking to and is teaching and is speaking about. Thank God. If you're here today, if you want to be part of that one called out assembly that belongs to the Lord, that is made up of all true believers of all time, then you'd better know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life because guess what? Nobody else is going to hear the call. Nobody else is going to hear the call when that assembly is called out of this world and for the first time they are assembled together. That's when it's an ecclesia. That's when it is a called out assembly, and that is when it is specifically the Lord's called out assembly. So there is a prospective church that will be together one day, and I hope that you can know that you're a part of that. But as we look these next couple of weeks, we're going to be turning our attention to the local body. Because I will tell you this that you know, the problem with the local body is that it's present and it's visible and we see each other and we see each other's warts. We see all the bad things in each other as well as the good. You see, one day when the church, the one true church is all together at the first time, guess what? Won't be no more warts. Won't be no more messing up. This is what we talked about when we began reading our passage. This is when we will be presented the glorious church, spotless, without wrinkle that it said there. That day is coming. And there's only one way you can be a part of that church, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. But today, we are a local church. <laughs> we got plenty of warts. <laughs> we got plenty of things that we see, and, you know, that's the problem. Our desire, our goal should be to be like everything that one day, that one true church will be when sin is no more, when all those tears will be wiped away, when we won't have to, to mess with any of those things anymore. That should be our goal. That should be our desire. There's only one body of Christ but right now. People should see that body through us. We are his body. Those things in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, people can argue over if they want to. As far as I can tell, it ought to be true in both. <laughs> There's only one true body, and it's made up of all these different members. But right now, there's only one body here, and it's made up of 
all these different members. And we ought to be a picture as much as we possibly can of that one that will be called out one day, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. We may be imperfect in our present state because of our imperfections, but that's what we have here in the present because, folks, sin hasn't been done away with yet. We're all still living in our sin-tainted bodies. We can have goals and we can have aspirations. We should try to be as much like him as we possibly can right now. We've got each other. Thank God for him that, you know, we say, we say if you're going to be a member of this body, you've got to be a born-again Christian. You've got to have been bought with the blood. You've got to have that testimony. We're not here as a social club. We're not trying to somehow say we're better and holier than the rest out there. No, we're trying as we'll be looking. God has given us the organization. This is the body of Christ. And the reality is, is to be part of the body of Christ, you've got to be bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask you to confirm that. We want to know that. You know, in the end, nobody knows your heart except you and the Lord. You can't fool him getting into the true church. There won't be any sin there. Unfortunately, in this one, we still got the wheat and the tear. We still got all those things together, but it's what we have for the present today. I would just simply ask you, do you know? Do you know that you're ready for the trumpet when this church that is in prospect will one day be called out? Because I've got to tell you, there's only going to be one shout. There's only going to be one call. And if you miss that one, I'm afraid you've missed the boat. I'm afraid there'll be no other chance. Some think you might get a chance during the tribulation period that you get to enjoy here on earth. I'm not so sure about that when I read what the Bible teaches, but I know this. When that trumpet sounds, you need to be ready. Do you know that today? You can be. And you know what? You know what's amazing as we look over these next couple of weeks, Brother Chris, <laughs> we might have our imperfections. We read there earlier about the importance of the, of the unity of the body and everything. We'll be looking at some of those things, but you know, we might have all of our imperfections and everything that we have down here. But the simple truth is, Folks, the greatest, the greatest thing you can know in all of this world is to know that you belong. And know if that trumpet sounds today that you're going to be part of that called out assembly that belongs to the Lord, that's going to be together for all of eternity. You need to know that with absolute certainty today. We're going to sing here in just a, a moment, just as I am. You know, that's how the Lord wants you. We may aspire to be like that true church, sinless, without sin one day. Right now, the Lord wants you just like you are. All your failings, all your shortcomings, he wants you just as you are. I can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. Walking down these aisles won't do that for you. Kneeling down here and saying some little prayer won't do that for you. 
For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. If you need to come this morning, we'd love to take the Bible. We'd love to pray with you. But in the end, it's in your heart. Are you willing to admit your sinfulness? Are you willing to call upon the Lord, recognizing that only because of the finished work of Jesus Christ can your sins be forgiven? He'll forgive you. I promise you that. And if you don't know that, I would encourage you to come this morning and make sure you know that before you leave. Mm-hmm.